Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Oh, nice. Oh. But like in a real like uh, studio and everything. In our dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With the we, keyboard we, in the dorm room. Nice. Oh, yeah, we had like a live. So we had, oh, like, that's a sound, dope. Uh, we had a soundboard and stuff. Was this pen? Yeah, this was our pen. What was the, the name of this podcast? It's called Sip Radio. It was uh, Sip Radio. Exactly. Was alcohol so, involved? No. Well, oh, I mean, not officially. Not officially, though. Unofficially, but it was uh, an acronym for my friend Stefan. I'm Isaiah. Oh. My, my other buddy was Paul. Oh, so nice. it was the three of us. We hosted it. Yeah. You guys should do a reunion show. Oh, we right. want to. <laughs> <laughs> I have to interject because he said, "Oh, we just brought people in from around." It was always women. They only oh. viewed women. Oh, I see. It. I see what's happening. The first episode <laughs> had Joshua Bennett, world-renowned poet. Second episode, had, see. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Job Logs, a podcast that features candid conversations with young professionals about work, life, and everything in between. Hi, I'm Joy Marie. And I'm Courtney. Thanks for tuning in again. If you're new, you can consider us your career confidants, girlfriends, group chat. We're yes. in your corner. Yeah, we're here to give you the real on this whole career kerfuffle that we all do. <laughs> <laughs> I love that word. That is an excellent word. Um, tweet us and say hi. If you're new to the show or listening from the UK, yeah. you're a new and noteworthy on iTunes in the UK. Oh, hi. Say holla. Tweet hi. us. Say hello. Um be sure to also check us out at joblogs.com, incredible resource with articles that'll help you on your journey, um, topics from, you know, dealing with micro inequities to building a vision for your life. Awesome resource, so check it out. Also, shout out to Adrian. So we're canceling Adrian's Bay campaign because he's in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> Our producer is killing it right now, landed a reporting gig in Alaska. We are so proud of him. We mess him around here already, but yeah. congrats and kudos to him. So yes. send him your good vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, coming up in today's episode, we're going to be talking about careers in tech, from software engineering to user experience and product management, and the roles key relationships play in entering those fields with a really incredible group of uh Googlers, past and present. Yes, yeah, a bit of a roundtable. Yes, we're yes. Having. So stay tuned for that. Um, but now it's time for our clock in, clock in, TikTok. Um, and this is the sort of section, not segment, where we just check on each other's professional yeah. growth, how we're doing. I think it's important to do with all of your friend groups. So yeah, what's up? I'm doing way too much. <laughs> Per use. Just way too much. You guys know I took the month off because I was doing way too much. I continue to do <laughs> way too much. But for a positive spin on it, I mean, I think I'm in a period of, like, stretching myself. Mm. So you got to be careful what you ask the universe mm. for because I wanted to have a better work ethic because I feel like my natural inclination is to be a very lazy person. Like I would just, oh, I would love to lay. Sleep I love till laying. 11. Yes. 
<laughs> and I just, you know, asked for some, like, help with mm. my initiative and work ethic. And, oh, my God. <laughs> I got it. Like, I took on, like, a client, like, a freelance client in, t- in addition to, like, work and my job. Uh. And it's just, like, I'm busy to the point where it's, like, my brain is just always yeah always occupied. on yeah. yeah but i would say i mean you you talk about lazy but i think that exact statement contradicts that cuz we're the type of people <laughs> right we're the type of people who when there is that idle time are like what else can i do yeah that's real and i you know i do think it's like preparing me cuz like when you can't work on something mm-hmm. it kind of like your desire for it increases, <laughs> increases. <laughs> so i think like even things i want to yeah. do with job logs things yeah. i want to do for myself yeah. like i kind of have the gust so to do that once this period yes. wraps itself up. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. So, yeah, I'm just holding on. You're killing it, though. Thank I'm very you. proud of you. Sure. You're out here doing it. What about you? I am good. Same. Um, same. <laughs> <laughs> and also, so on the work front, just wrapped a really big event in San Diego. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm kind of in the experiential marketing space. So events is sort of what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And it just, you know, every time we do a big event, it makes me think about all of the parallels between like producing an event on the client mm. side and also just like life in general. Cause I've found that I am at a place now where it's not stressful. And I was just thinking about it. I'm like, this was like a 300-person event. I'm not stressed about it. I just don't get stressed out about these events anymore. And I think it's because there's so much preparation that happens beforehand Mm -hmm. from putting together a very detailed production schedule and run of show to literally weekly meetings with our agencies and partners and everybody, vendors and everything to just go through every single minute, every single detail of the program. So literally when you show up on site, it's just like you show up just to make sure everything's happening. Yeah. Um, and so I've just been thinking about where it's appropriate to apply that because it is a lot of pre-work. But there are a lot of other things in my life where I'm like, because I am a habitual procrastinator. <laughs> I will And I promise you, I will wait until the day of, you know, Mm. maybe at best the night before to do something when it's due every single time. Mm. And so being in the event space and having to prepare ahead of time has helped me to start applying that to other things in life. You know, like just realizing it's going to take a person two, three weeks to get back to me. And then when they get back to me, it's going to take another couple weeks to lock in a meeting, you know, things like that. Like, so instead of waiting till the last minute, trying to do things in advance, but yeah, overall, you know, lots of tips around organization that I've gleaned from that space that I'm just trying to apply to other areas of my life to decrease the stress and sense of urgency that comes with procrastinating. Right. So now it's time to rant, to rave, to review. This is where we give you our recommendations or our cautions about, you know, services, tools that are impacting our lives, Mm -hmm. work or otherwise. Yeah. What are you doing? I am ranting. Yay. Wait. The fact that I got so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Am I a negative person? What are you ranting about? I am ranting. We're going to title this You Are Your Timeline. Okay. Okay. 
I'm tired of people complaining about social media. I'm tired of people complaining <laughs> about all the stuff that they see on social media and how it's ratchet or it's this <laughs> or it's that. You are really telling on yourself. I love those posts first thing in the morning. Oh, y'all still talking about X, Y, Z? You are y'all? talking about it. Like, girl... <laughs> Like, you're telling yourself in your circle. I will never forget. I saw this tweet on this girl said, I don't like LinkedIn. It's too ratchet. How ratchet do you have to be to have a ratchet LinkedIn feed? What? Wait. (laughs) What are you talking about? She just said, like, they're too ratchet. Like, everyone's trying to hook up and blah, blah, blah. Where? I'm like, my LinkedIn is Right, right, right. No, that's true. We are sharing professional development tips. So, (laughs) social media is customizable, Mm. okay? You can shape it to what you want it to be or need it to be. So... For example, I frequently recalibrate like my timeline. <laughs> like if I notice, like I'll notice, like oh, there's too many women on here. Mm. Like I need a more of a male point mm. of view. Oh, it, maybe it's too political or it's yes. too pop culture. Yes. And like you will get a cute unfollow. Yeah. Or if yes. I can't find mm-hmm. a new follow, so, like mm-hmm. supplement, I'll mm-hmm. you know trim the fat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking will. of which, I'm looking to recalibrate my Twitter timeline. Yeah. So if y'all could send me some more global professionals to follow, cute. kindly. Yeah. Yeah, but because. it's like that's your, like it's your circle, and yeah, I think there's some yeah. offline takeaways here uh, as well. Uh, okay. okay, like Let's you talk about you it. curate your circle online mm-hmm. and offline. So if mm-hmm. you have a problem with what you're surrounding yourself with, you girl look in the mirror and yeah. make some adjustments. That's true. That's all I'm saying. That's true. Rant done. <laughs> well, I also have a rant this week for you. <laughs> This one comes courtesy of a darling colleague who she knows who she is. Shouts to her. Oh, my God. Um, But she came to work and told me a story about a house guest um, that she received who hit her up out of the blue. I believe the house guest was a friend from elementary or middle school or something like that. They hadn't talked in years. Mama shows up for dinner. Well, to take it back. They couldn't really pan out the plans. Okay. So, you know, my colleague is like, okay, well, why don't you just come over for dinner? Oh, Mama sorry. shows up for dinner with an overnight bag. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. And stays for, like, multiple days. Excuse me? See, this <laughs> is why I need couch. concrete. On the couch. <laughs> plans, itineraries when you show up to me. Um, but... Yeah, you know, and then, like, didn't bring anything to dinner, was just kind of on the couch. How do you show up to dinner (laughs) with a preconceived, (laughs) premeditated plan that this is going to be a weekend affair? Yeah. That's rude. So, right. So, you know, my rant is about the lack of hospitality, lack of manners. And overstepping boundaries when it comes to hospitality in particular. Okay. We're all, this is also adulting because we're over the age where, you know, you come crush on people's couches Mm -hmm. indefinitely and such. Like, if you're going to come. Yeah, that period is done. It's done. I'm I'm not going back to it. So <laughs> if you're going, if you want to work something out, I mean, I am forever indebted to the people who let me crash their couches yes. when I first moved to New York City. So I'll always have an open arm policy. But communication, one, is key. Yes. Like, let us hash out the details and be crystal clear. And then, two, when you come, bring something. <laughs> 
Don't come empty-handed. You come to dinner, bring a bottle right. of wine. Bring a come floral on now. arrangement. Something. <laughs> All right. So today we are joined by some incredible techies, Amber, Isaiah, Michael. Hey, y'all. Hey. 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 So Amber Green is a user experience researcher at Weight Watchers. Her husband, Isaiah Green, who's here with us as well as a product manager at Genius, both recently left their roles at Google in user experience and product management, respectively. Congratulations. Um, And had a couple of really interesting transitions in your background, which we're going to get into. And then we're also thrilled to be joined by Michael Frederick, who's a staff software engineer at Google, operates a tech lead and manager on the Google Docs team, which we love. We're scrolling it right now for this episode. Yes. (laughs) So welcome all. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. So I know we're going to talk a lot of stuff is going to go on today. (laughs) But, you know, we always hear about, like, the different tech experience you need to get into this industry. But we want to talk a little bit about, like, the relationship side. Like, what what the relationships you need to cultivate and build in? What were the key players that kind of helping you have the career that you have today? Yeah. You so want to start, Michael? Yeah. Sure. Um, I think for me, the the biggest relationships I had to cultivate were actually before, well, sort of during college or even before college mm-hmm. at times to sort of get into the right places at the right times. Mm. Um, I had sort of a checkered past, you know. Uh, <laughs> checkered. <laughs> That's a colorful uh, Before word. <laughs> I sort of, you know, I, uh, I was kind of in and out of school when I was mm. younger. And then, you know, I sort of uh, started pulling my life together. Um, a bit better later on. And it was at that time when I was kind of looking for ways to, you know, get into my career and kind of jumpstart mm-hmm. both my college career and then eventually, you know, my pre- professional career. Um, that's when I needed sort of key people in my life. Yeah. You know, and I sort of only realized that now retrospectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, who were those people? And I love that because, I mean... I certainly did not coast through college with straight A's. So I can relate to that. And a lot of times you feel defeated when you have like failures and mistakes in your past that you feel like you can't bounce back from. So what were kind of like, who are those people for mm-hmm. you? And then I'd love to hear from you guys as well. Just that kind of helped you. Not sure. Sure. Um, so I think the biggest influence on me uh, was a professor. His name was Rick Ord. And uh, he was a professor in like kind of one of the introductory computer science classes that mm-hmm. I was involved with. Um, and this is sort of after I had, I had sort of gotten my life back on track and I was in school again and I was at least uh, poised to maybe do well and kind of, you know, uh, yeah. uh, get back in, in the swing of things. Um, but I definitely had a lot of anxiety and sort of mm. fear of not, you know, uh, yeah. we talk about imposter syndrome a lot. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was in, you know, kind of a, a high-end university, you know, with a very prominent computer science program, which was great, except that I sort of felt like I wasn't sure where I belonged there. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the first people who I, I sort of like, uh, especially as, as a professor, who I really connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he also helped me get both of my internships in during college. Okay. And one of them was with Google, which led to my nice. hire to Google eventually. So nice, nice. Um, Amber, I want to talk to you because you graduated. Your your profile is really interesting because you graduated from Stanford with a degree in public policy. How did you get from there to user experience? Like, how does that even happen? I'm so curious. And you were even at Goldman Sachs and finance. So I'd love to hear about the transition and kind of the key players that help you navigate that. Yeah, 
So I started off studying um, kind of more engineering-related things at Stanford initially. I didn't pick a major. Okay. Um, luckily, we have the quarter system there, so mm. you have a little bit of time. Like, a lot of people end up double majoring or having a minor, and even sometimes when they're doing a computer science or engineering degree, having a minor, which is pretty tough, yeah. just given all the classes you have to take. So I started off taking a bunch of math and science classes that some were related to um, if I went specifically into an engineering field, and then some were just core classes that we needed to take. Mm. Um, and so I decided against uh, better judgment, I was like, I'm not going to do engineering, actually. My dad had done electrical engineering, and I don't think I was totally against it for that, but I just kind of didn't realize where I was. I didn't realize I was in Silicon Valley. I didn't really know <laughs> what I could do with a yeah, computer science degree yeah. or an engineering degree. And so I ended up studying public policy because I thought it was a way for me to blend uh, a lot of things that were interdisciplinary. So mm. I took a lot of math classes because we had to take higher level economics and that kind of stuff. Mm. But I also took a class around community-based participatory research. And so I was able to take a lot of different classes that I liked and then put a degree on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I ended I up that. moving into <laughs> finance later because I was part of a program called MLT, oh, Management MLT, Leadership yeah. for Tomorrow. And mm-hmm. I did their career prep program. So basically they take students from all across the country. You apply and you're in a year-long program where they help you figure out what is your passion and then how are you going to get an internship based yeah. on that passion so that then you can get um, a position full-time somewhere. So through them, I still didn't necessarily know exactly what I wanted to do, but one of our sponsors was Goldman Sachs. Mm. And they had a career day and they went through and told you about, okay, this is what investment banking is like. Here's a case study. This mm. is what private wealth management is about. Here's a case study. And so I learned a little bit more about those uh different fields yeah. and ended up saying, hey, private wealth management, that seems like something interesting. It has like the investing side and the finance side, but it also is really relationship based. Yeah. So I thought, okay, that could be a good thing for me to maybe do a good first career. So I ended up interning there and then joining full time after um, graduating. Okay. So really the internship was kind of like a 10, uh, 10 week interview. Okay. Got it. So I did that for two and a half years and it was a great first uh, job. I learned a ton. I I'm thankful that I know a bit more about finance, but I realized after two and a half years when I was making the decision to try and become an associate and, you know, stay there longer than kind of the two-year analyst program, Mm -hmm. I decided it was a little bit too esoteric for me. It wasn't something I wanted to do long-term. But during that time, a lot of the people that I helped prospect, so part of what I did as an analyst was investing and actually trading, but part of it was prospecting for new clients. Mm -hmm. And we're in Silicon Valley, and most of them were entrepreneurs, were in the tech space, whether at large companies or their own startups. And so that's actually when I became interested in tech. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, so that's sort of how I made the initial transition to being in the tech industry. From Isaiah, too, like what were the key players in your success? Yeah, so uh, going into college, I knew for sure that really the only thing that I wanted to do was make sure to be around computers as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know exactly what computer science was at the time. I just chose... The, the major that had the word computer in it. Uh, right? so, As but, most of us do in high school. Exactly, <laughs> like, right? Let's so, do that one. Good thing you didn't end up with a computer repair degree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it worked out. Put the finger on the right one. Yeah. So. 
Um, so, but going into college, I actually was already involved in an organization called NSBE, which is the oh, National NSBE. Society yes. of Black Engineers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have a NSBE Juniors program where you can sign up as a high school student. And because my older sister had already gone through college, she had many friends who were in NSBE, mm. and she said, hey, you need to sign up for this, you know, before you even get to college. So by the time I got there, you know, it was very easy to just, you know, work myself into the, the chapter of NSBE at Penn. Yeah. Um, and that's where I met a lot of the key influencers and the key people who played a big role in me, you know, landing a job at Google, for example. Um, so there was a guy there, actually, at the time when I got there, he was the, the president of Nesby. His name is Jerome Wade. Mm-hmm. We just became friends. Um, he's doing really awesome entrepreneurial stuff now, too. But at the end of the day, he'd met another guy named Marcus Mitchell, mm-hmm. who's an engineering director uh, in the Google New York office. Um, Marcus told him, hey, if you meet any young students who might be interested in this, in this you know, send them my way. Mm-hmm. So... Not only was I, you know, in Nesby traveling around to the different conferences, meeting people from Google, meeting yeah. people from Apple, different yeah. companies, but I had Jero who yes. had the direct, you know, contact to Marcus, who ended up being like just awesome all around. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so uh, I had actually already applied to an internship at Google, um, so I, I'd given them my resume that way. Um, but I'd also attended the Nesby conferences. Mm-hmm. I met a lot of the you know recruiters and different engineers there. I'd handed resumes out there. Mm-hmm. They ended up being awesome. You know, invited me to the different you know Google uh, events at the Nesby conference. Yeah. And you know, all I said was, "Hey, yeah, you know, I was I was on the phone with Marcus. You know, they were like, what? You know, Marcus? Yeah. I was like, hey, <laughs> hey, come to this party. Like, come hang out. Awesome, right? So." Um, so from, you know, meeting the president of Nesby, from networking at the different conferences, mm-hmm. um, my resume ended up in the hands of many different people at the company. Mm-hmm. So it was always a good thing to meet someone new, but yeah. it wasn't new for them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was really, I think Nesby played, played a key role in, in all the people involved there. Yeah. I love that all three of you have spoken about uh, internships or sort of these affinity groups, these associations, these pipeline programs from MLT to NSBE to, you know, things that you're doing on campus. Because I think a lot of times, I remember I went to the Rochester Institute of Technology and, you know, computer science, software engineering majors, they were the first to drop like flies, especially um, in our communities of like people of color and women, you would just see them kind of go. And I think those organizations and the internships play such a critical role in building that efficacy and giving you a support network of people to just kind of keep moving you forward and pushing you forward, as well as like very tangibly connecting you with some of these opportunities. And so um, can you speak about, I guess, like moments where you kind of realized the power of that. So I had this professor who's very influential in my life. And uh, I think at the time I didn't, you know, I didn't realize what it was that I needed to sort of succeed. I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what the steps were. I didn't know Mm. what the next step was. Mm. And I think now thinking back about like what, you know, because a lot of mentoring relationships or, or, you know, they're not formal, you know. Yeah, Uh, exactly. You do see those more, I think, in in, uh, people are starting to talk more about it now. Yeah, like for me yeah. back then it was, you know, and I didn't even think of it at, yeah, at, that exactly. way at the time, but having someone just sort of tell me like, you're doing the right things, like mm. keep doing this mm. and like, I'll show you what the next step is, or I can, mm. I can help guide you along. And without that person, I think I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have gotten, you know, the next internship right, that really right, inspired me to right. say, Oh, I can do this. Yeah. Mm. I can be successful at this. And, uh, you know, that led to everything that that followed after it. For me, I would think about um, 
So at Stanford, the one thing that I've realized looking back on my experiences there and then also as an alum is how important the alumni network is. Mm. And I didn't think about that going there. I wasn't like, oh, let me pick this school because of the network. I didn't know what that meant. But the resources that we had there, and I'm specifically thinking about the moment when I realized I needed to have a good resume and mm. what that meant. Yeah. Because I'll meet lots of talented people now and I'll look at their resume and I'm like, yes. oh no. Oh no, my God. I'm no interviewing for <laughs> interns right now and it is, oh my God. <laughs> These are people I know who I'm like, I would work with you. I yeah, would you're you. actually you're awesome. amazing in real life, exactly. but this resume. <laughs> yeah, and so I, um, I worked at the Black Community Services Center at mm. Stanford and one of the things we did is there were lots of services available to everyone, but sometimes we would it still a, feels like a big place, even though mm. Stanford's not huge, right? Going to college, it's still like this new place, and you don't even know how to take advantage of yeah. services yeah. that are there. Yeah. So sometimes we would say, hey, come to, we would call it the Black House, and we're going to have one of the career development people like come here specifically mm -hmm. to like, look yeah. at our resumes. And this one lady, her name's Vita Jeffrey, she had been, she went to Stanford and then had been working there for probably like 20 years, and she spent one Saturday afternoon, this is like not her normal working hours, just fixing my resume, mm. right? Because I needed a resume also to apply for MLT, Management yeah, Leadership yeah. for Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that was pretty critical because one, I figured out how to also critique other people's resumes, but mm. I had just something that I could now give to people with in confidence, saying, okay, yes. this displays like what I've done. Mm. And I think that was a huge pivotal point. And if someone hadn't like spent that time to yeah. sit down with me and yeah. show me how to do that. That's why now I'll do it for other people. Yes. Because yes. if you don't have that, it's just very hard. Even if you are able to network yep. and you meet exactly. people, if you don't have something to like send to them yeah. you know, they can look at, yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. And a lot of people don't have that coming out of college, I've found. Even yeah. if they're talented, have gone to a great school, yep. they still mm. might not have that. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Having worked in HR a little bit, I saw that to be true too because there's kind of its own like art form and world to putting together a resume and kind of going through the job search process that isn't really always to your point reflective of your actual skill level and expertise so that's a really good point yeah and while we're talking about like the people who have helped you I kind of want to hear about like the mentorship side and how you kind of pay that forward like Isaiah I know you just came here from a hackathon so can you tell us a little bit about how you like are helping the next generation of techies break in Definitely. So that's actually related to the last question, too, you know, talking about uh, when you realized how pivotal something like Nesby was and you hit it on the head. It actually was when I went back as a Googler mm. and, you know, was involved at the career fair from the employer side of the mm. table. Right. And at that point, you know, you, you see the world from the other side yeah. and you realize what the important things were mm -hmm. for you as a student to do, you know, when you were approaching people at career fairs. Right. Mm. So, um, you know, the entire skill set that Nesby prepared us with, you realize how vital that was for yeah. us actually, you know, landing these types of jobs and things like yeah. that. Um, and in terms of, you know, mentorship now, uh, one of my favorite groups that, that I work with a lot is All Star Code. Mm. So you may have heard of Black Girls Code and, yes. and different um, organizations like that. All Star Code is the, the version for young black men. Um, and I could only imagine how awesome that would have been for me as a high school student yeah. to yeah. not only pick a major that had the word computer in it, yeah. but have hacked and built and done, you know, really, really interesting things with software. You know, you know back then I, I was tinkering around, but I, I didn't know what kind of, yes. you know, what yeah. that all meant. Uh, but in terms of the, the mentorship, like you said, I just came back from a hackathon. 
out of All Star Code, there's this really, really awesome group of young students who who have an entrepreneurial spirit and have taken it to the next level where they form their own organization called Young Hackers, mm. where they throw hackathons to uh, for high school students around the city. Nice. Cool. Right. And the one we just came from yesterday had something like 600 people there. Wow. Right? Um, and, and they're doing this all themselves, like wow. completely student run. Yeah. Um, you know. These kids are amazing, and they're, yeah, get, they're get, yeah. because they're having these sorts of leadership opportunities to you know to plan events to mm-hmm. you know, and they're building apps at these things, and they're teaching students how to build apps. They run workshops, right? Yeah. So in a general sense, you know, hackathon. Sometimes you come there with a lot of skills mm-hmm. and you build something. Sometimes you come uh, with you know more introductory level, right, and they right. teach the students how, how to, to do, do that, it. right? So, so it's amazing. kind of like, my role in that is to kind of help them help other people, yeah. right? Also be there as a mentor, give the industry level experience to the situation, because they're getting into schools now like Stanford, Harvard, yeah. Sarah, yeah. et cetera, um, and when they get to college, they're going to need that kind of industry level, you know, experience to, to go along with it. So yeah. so the idea for me as, as, an, uh, uh, as a mentor for All Star Code is to continue to provide leadership opportunities for the students to do things like this yeah Um, and then also just you know talk about my college experience for example yeah Yeah, Um, I think it's so important especially as you're younger um, just exposure and awareness of some of these career trajectories and like opportunities because they didn't exist 10 years ago a lot of you know user experience things like that they didn't exist um, until recently and so learning that this is a viable path for you as a student in elementary school or middle school I think is so critical into just kind of forming and shaping your idea of what you might want to be when you grow up. All right, now we're going to have a little break, a little break. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Joy, have you, I know you've heard of this, the whole work wife, work husband situation. I have. We're going to define it for those of you who are out of the know. I went to the Wikipedias. Yes. A work spouse refers to a co-worker, usually of the opposite sex, with whom one shares a special relationship having bonds similar to those of a marriage. Hmm. So, you, you know, basically, like, the person that, like, supports you, yeah. you know, sees <laughs> to your, you know, HR-approved needs. Okay. <laughs> HR-approved. My question is, like, what is the line of, like, being appropriate? I don't Cause know, because I, I ain't never had one. I've never had one either. <laughs> and it's I actually like, don't know anyone who has had one. Oh I my god, think. my boyfriend has all the work wives. Oh, oh does he? All the work wives. <laughs> and on the one end, like, I appreciate it because I don't have time. You know, it's like I'm at work, like, whatever. Deal with it. But on the flip side, one day he told me, because I think I saw this on a show and someone was like, they brought food. Uh, I have an issue with other women cooking. Mm, I have this just issue. Man. Yes. Mm. So then I was like, has anyone done that for you? And multiple plates. <laughs> multiple plates. I, well, lunch, dinner, the breakfast. <laughs> it's okay if you like happen to order some extra. I'm fine with that. But you bring in food from home. You're at home thinking about this man when you prepare the food. And, and, and that's the line. I think that's where we have the line. When yes. you are out of work prepping. Cosign. For this, I'm going to go ahead and put a stamp and cosign that with girl, you. Girl, watch yourself. Because the company Christmas party is coming, and I have an invite. I'm just saying. (laughs) 
I do want to, you guys have, you know, you all went to really incredible schools. You kind of had access to good programs, things like that. Definitely worked hard at it. But I want to talk maybe with you, Michael, a little bit since you came from this checkered background. (laughs) For those of us who feel like for whatever reason our history or education is marred or we don't have access or we're not at a top-notch school that Google's coming and recruiting to, how do you break into a competitive field like tech? What, you know, what do you do? Is it affiliating with these networks? What, what's the answer? For me, uh, the biggest thing was just kind of finding out what I needed to do. Mm. Uh, because before, you know, when I was kind of going in and out of school for a while and not really, wasn't really focused on anything. Um, so it was always, you know, if somebody asked me what I was going to be doing, I'd say like, oh, I want to be involved in building software. I want to be a software mm. engineer or I want to be a programmer, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But if they had said, like, okay, so, you know, six months from now or a year from now, like, how are you going to be closer? Right. And I would say, like, I, <laughs> I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it wasn't until I sort of figured out, you know, how to sort of uh, mm. just keep, you know, just say, all right, uh, just focusing on the, the end game for me, you know, that was important. But, like, mm. saying, all right, it had to be very concrete mm. steps. Like, first, all right, I'm going to complete this, you know, I'm going to complete a community college program. Mm. Then it was, all right, I'm going to get into a better school. Okay, I'm going to just figure out what classes I need to take, yeah. who I need to talk to, yeah. um, and I'm just going to work. That was also the, the trick for me was <laughs> realizing that, because uh, I was a little bit older at this point, was that, like, oh, these are, like, 18- and 19-year-old kids. Yeah. They don't know how to work hard. Yeah. But I'm, like, <laughs> 25. Like, I can just outwork these kids. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you got that part Which, down. I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. you know, encouraging for everyone or not. But <laughs> And it was like, oh, well, if I do that, then it just – you know, made everything so much easier. Yeah. You know, that, that was for me, that was like my, just keep, kept putting the next step. The next step, uh, yeah. And surrounding myself, making sure I was like, you know, if I was hanging out with the students who I could identify were, they had already figured out what the next step was. Yeah. So talking to the professors. <laughs> oh, well. that's, a, that's a major key right yeah. there. Or you gotta, in you our case, find the, the, the one ones. professor I, who I keep coming back to who had like, he had lots of industry connections. Mm. And that was huge because mm. there's so many professors who, um, they come from academia mm-hmm. and... You know, they sort of, they're they're sort of uh, mentality. They're not connected. Like, yeah, they're <laughs> ivory tower. They're yeah. just thinking sort of like, okay, I want to get my research done. Yeah, I have these classes to yeah. to, to conduct, but they're not really my passion. Yeah, this one professor I did have, his whole he was only you know only doing uh, lecturing. Yeah, and he had come from industry, and like that was just the magic bullet for me because it mm. connected me with someone who cared, who was passionate, mm. and got me access to internships. So what I'm always interested in when I interview people from a different field is what is the hustle for your field for rising through the ranks? Because um, when I started working in PR, um, I met, I forgot her name, jeez, but she was (laughs) seasoned in the field and she told me that like if key for success is like it doesn't happen in the office. Like, you need to go to all these mm. after work events, you need to go to these parties, and you need to interact and network. Mm. And that was a light bulb for me. And then when I'm now working at a dance company, I was like shocked to find out that these professional dancers, like, they're coming to our classes really as a sort of audition for like mm. these master choreographers that just teach a class. Or like, mm. I'm really like coming so maybe they'll notice me so I can move to the next level. Mm. So I'm wondering like what is like the thing that's not on paper that mm. kind of helps you excel through your field? Is it really just like being good at your job? Like is that enough? <laughs> I would say that in any um, corporate job that that's not necessarily mm-hmm. the case. I think it also depends on what role. Yeah. Right? Because we're coming from like three different roles whether it's engineering 
user experience, product management. So granted, like in each of these, you, you have to perform well. Yeah. Right? And that's like the baseline. I do think there's something to be said, and I've had this issue in my career in terms of like being the person who's heads down and working really mm, hard yeah. but doesn't promote your work um, mm. and that can happen right you're the That's person the like I know how to work really really hard yeah. but no one necessarily knows about it or they mm-hmm. maybe like forget you mm-hmm. um, and I know that's a huge issue a lot of times for women and minorities mm-hmm. just being like no I'm going to work hard I know how to do that Yeah. but you don't know and you think maybe promoting yourself is like bragging right, or self promotion right. seems like a bad word Yeah. Um, so I think that one, we're in like different fields, right? So I think it depends on what field you're in, but also it depends on what type of company, right? The difference between working at a large company versus a startup. Mm. Those are just two different areas. So I think when we think about tech, we have to kind of divide the two. Yeah. Well, what about yours? <laughs> so I'm thinking now, for me, I think you have to become the expert or the go-to person in some Mm. area, Mm. right? So for, you know, thinking about my past experience, so at Google, when I was working as a researcher, I became more of the go-to person for um, being a researcher who could look at some quantitative data. Mm. And that wasn't something that our team necessarily had as much of, Mm. or I was the person who could do more of, like, the survey research. Mm. So just becoming, you know, an expert or go-to person in some specific area, I think that's super important. And then also promoting that, right? Whether, and I'm thinking in, like, a large company context, meaning, hey, I'm going to maybe put on a workshop about this or Mm. a class, or I'm going to come up with a presentation that, is long lasting that other people can reference and they'll associate it with me. So mm. creating kind of deliverables, uh, meaning like reports yeah, or videos yeah. that have what we would call a long shelf life. Yeah. Like they're not about one particular uh, tactical project, but yeah. they're like very, very much more strategic and people can reference them for a long time. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, on the kind of engineering and product management side, uh, it, it definitely is about, you know, how many projects, but not only how many projects you've worked on, but the complexity of those projects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, were they outside of your normal classwork, for example? So mm. if you're a student, thing that we, you know, people like to see, you know, employers like to see is that you spent time outside of the classroom mm-hmm. doing computer science or building a project or in the open source community, which which clearly shows you have a passion for this beyond, you know, what everybody gets in class, yeah. right? Um, and then I think not only having those projects, but uh, having those projects be impactful, right? Mm-hmm. So there are ways, you can look at impact in many different ways. Yeah. The way it impacts your team or impacts your company or how it impacts a user's life mm-hmm. or impact in terms of how many people is your application or project touching and how many people is your application helping. Yeah. So, so one, your project has that impact, but then the next step is being able to measure that impact, yeah. right? Like yeah. if you, right, so, you know, Amber mentioned being able to promote yourself. Yes. Saying you did something is one thing. Saying you did something and it impacted so many mm-hmm. lives in a particular way is an mm-hmm. entirely different step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the people who separate themselves and, and make it in, in this sort of industry are ones that can, that can you know, really measure and show the impact in a way that, that promotes the project itself, right? Yeah. And promotes the complexity yeah. and just the all-around awesomeness of what your project is, right? Yeah, absolutely. You... You guys all, I think, are very passionate about diversity in tech and representation, things like that. What, you know, 
we hear in the media all the time about the gaps at many major companies, not calling anyone out. But what, mm-hmm. you know, what what's the solve for that? And also like, in the spaces that you currently exist, how do you find a sense of community? Well, speaking as the nun minority. So this is more about, I think, just my perspective uh, on diversity. But and I think this is actually a pretty common perspective, especially in technology, is that, you know, there's this there's this gap, there's this mm-hmm. problem. Uh, and a lot of people say, like, well, you know, especially if you're coming from being, you know, a white male, you think, well, I didn't really do anything to cause this problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long yeah. as I'm a fair individual and I just sort of do the right things by the people around me, then, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's my, that's my obligation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, we, you know, there's a lot of concern, whether sometimes it's false or not, about, mm-hmm. you know, reverse racism and these problems that don't actually exist. Uh, and I think what's interesting is just sort of, uh, and, you know, it's, maybe it's totally obvious, but just listening to other people mm. talk about their experiences. Because even at Google, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have said, hey, we're a company that has got it right, you know, um, and everything is great and, and everything will just work out in time. And then you just start listening to stories as people mm. have been talking about more and more, uh, you know, the problem. And, you know, people are now being empowered, I think, to speak up about it. And it's not... Uh, it's not just as, as simple as like, you know, we kind of set everything in motion and it will mm-hmm. all fix yeah. itself. It's like yeah. we have to really yeah. actively yeah. work on these problems yeah. and yeah. we can't just sit back because they're not going to get better unless yeah. we really yeah. focus on them. Yeah, be deliberate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would agree. I think um, the part you mentioned specifically about sharing stories, mm. that makes things real. You know, like I think giving people specific examples of um, – of one, people's like experiences in the workplace, but also I'm thinking even about, you know, specifically at Google or other tech companies, you know, we are creating products that so many people use and touch so many different people's lives. And I think it's important to have stories around when we don't have diversity and different perspectives and different backgrounds. Um, in those people who are creating things, mm-hmm. how that can just have so many issues. And yeah, we've seen examples yeah, of those before yeah. where it's like, who created this? Yeah. It kind of reminds <laughs> me of like when I was younger, um, my sister was taking kind of like a standardized test because mm-hmm. there's also issues with tests not yeah. being culturally competent. And mm. yeah, and she took a test and the the test said something like, what do you put on your on your head? And I think it was supposed to be like hat was just like the bank mm. like the answer. And my sister was like, hair grease. <laughs> and everyone was like, what? Yes, you wouldn't even yes. think, right? It's just like, you just think it's the norm. And even yeah. sometimes for me, yeah. I think, oh, this is the norm for me. And when other people don't get it, I'm yeah. like, wait. And that comes out in the mm. way that products are produced. And like UX, because one, UX is something, a job that people don't really know about as much. Yeah. I didn't know about it until after being at Google. It's sometimes even less diverse. And we're creating like the user experience and like, all these very important things and it's a really it's not a diverse area and so you're just missing out yeah. on creating something that is for everyone. It kinda of reminds me even of accessibility, right? When you get accessibility yes, right, yes, yes. everything it's easier for everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it makes a, a huge impact on everyone. It's not just for that specific group of people that you're mm-hmm. improving their lives. It really impacts everyone. I think the same way about diversity. This is a topic I've been, you know, just very, very interested in throughout my entire career in terms of, you know, you talk about, you know, what can you do from the other side? This particular thing is where I feel like, mm-hmm. well, if I can, you know, you know, be that person that would have been awesome for me to have talked to when I were, you know, or or for the person to have interviewed me or to have built that product that I use, right? 
Um, but overall, in terms of the solution, um, there isn't just one. Like most issues, it's a very complex one. Um, the, the first, though, that has been the hot topic for, for many, many years is the pipeline issue, right? It's like we have to fix the pipeline. What that means is are there enough talented minorities who are actually applicants to these companies? Like, are we? is the pipeline to getting these jobs actually mm-hmm. a diverse pipeline? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one part of the issue. So, so I think companies in the beginning, you know, started attacking that by making sure that either the schools that they were recruiting from were diverse and that they were doing a good job of, you know, not holding any bias there. Yeah. Uh, make sure, maybe even open the gates up a little bit wider and go to schools that they hadn't gone to before, right? Yeah. And, and making sure that your pipeline is actually representative yeah. of who you mm-hmm. like to hire. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue I think we're running into now is that a lot of companies think that that's the only part of the problem. Mm. Right. So a buddy of mine, actually a colleague who I worked with for a long time, they Marvin Stickle, he he worked um, as uh, basically you know an industry level um, uh, recruiting lead, a lead specialist for for recruiting minorities and, and inclusion, right? So a lot of people have have uh, put the words diversity and inclusion together, mm-hmm. and these are yes. these are two very related but two separate issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of the problem that I'm getting to that, and, and I mentioned Marvin because he just wrote a, uh, an article about it, is the hiring part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So okay, great. Now let's say in an ideal situation we've got a completely diverse pipeline. Bam, it's fixed. Let's yeah. say that there's still a stage at the hiring process that's completely broken yeah. when your hiring managers are not of a diverse population, right? So great, we've brought you all these students and all of these applicants who are from all over the place, but the people who are trying to hire them can't relate to them in ways. And we all know that a big part of bringing someone onto the team that you're on, that you want to work with, is a bit of relatability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so if we don't start to actually attack the 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 hiring processes and try and remove some of the either conscious or un- unconscious bias mm-hmm. that goes on there, then you know you're not you're still you still have a broken process. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have done a great job of increasing the diversity of the pipeline. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of work to do in terms of uh, fixing the, the hiring process. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So we're always talking about our winning circles, our personal. We kind of consider this show like your career confidants, your group chat. Who is in each of your like winning circles? Like who do you text when you have a work thing? There's a PM at Google. His name's Mark Ewing. He's awesome. He's been a PM for a long time. So in my transition into the role, anything I needed around like learning what that process was, I would definitely hit him up immediately. Nice. I have a group chat um, with my friends. 
called Black Girl Magic. Yes. Yeah. It's actually Black Gum Magic. Black Gum, yes. So that usually, you know, that's even, even if there's like tough times at work, yes. I might send a little text there. That's the go-to. Um, Love it. I would also say one of my friends, Janelle, will be talking on Instagram, Facebook, Gchat, <laughs> and text maybe about, yes. about yes. work-related stuff. That sounds like um, me and Courtney. Yeah. Those are probably the top two right now. Nice, nice. Michael? Uh, well, my wife definitely. Uh, but yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I, I wasn't gonna say nothing. Uh, now I, I look like a good guy. But, yeah. <laughs> we don't. Talk. Well, obviously, my wife would be the first person I would talk to. <laughs> Every time. His wife is in the studio. <laughs> She's looking at me right now. Uh, but now I also have I have uh, you know friends at work who are uh, people who are at like a similar level mm-hmm. who you can sort of just unload stuff on and, yeah. and we all yeah. have a similar perspective yeah. and that helps because you know even maybe you're, you have a good relationship with your manager but you mm-hmm. can't complain about your manager to right. your manager um, correct and then you know people maybe who are at a lower level like you don't want to yeah, yeah, yeah. make it look bad for them so yeah. you sort yeah. of have to you know just find people who are at your sort of similar level and you can yeah. sort of just unload on them nice nice thank you all so much for stopping by this was incredible thank you thank you yeah this was awesome thanks it's time for Ask Job Blocks, which is the segment of the show where we address your career and life questions. It's our favorite segment because we get to hear from you. Submit your questions to us anytime at jobblogs.com slash askjobblogs. What do we have today? Let's see. We have a question from Alex. Ooh, Alex, What I'm really loving about the podcast is your embracing of the creative side hustle. I understand the podcast for both of you is a side hustle in itself, and you mm-hmm. have full-time jobs and potential career paths outside of job blogs. And I feel like that's why I relate so well to the content you present to your audience, from personal commentary to the people you choose to interview. How necessary are business cards these days? Do folks still use them? And when do you have and when you do have side hustles and passions and projects, how do you decide what's most important to include on your business card? These could be naive questions, but I know for myself. I just went through drafts on drafts on drafts of how I would want my business card to represent me. And your advice is greatly appreciated. Mm, this is a good question. That is I feel like business cards are in a very gray area right now. They are, because they're dated yeah as all hell for sure like business cards are so antiquated and yeah. with linkedin i wish we could just completely do well, that's away with when them. i read this question i was like linkedin what are, can we where's the technology here yeah yeah no so i mean i agree but i will say this like we have business cards for job blogs yeah and it's a good question because i feel like we went through this phase as well um the first batch of business cards we had printed were just like name, signature, yeah. same template as everybody mm-hmm. else's. But then, you know, I realized like personally when I was passing them out would be like career fairs to students or people who had no familiarity with what job blogs was and the name itself doesn't explain it. Yeah. So I really ended up like needing to use them to explain the show. Yeah, I like that of using it as more of a leave behind. Yeah. Because – it's more than like a business card. It's like, especially if you have a creative side hustle. Mm-hmm. It's like it's kind of like a piece of your work. Yeah, so I think exactly. using it in that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Like really a cool. sliver or 
uh, almost like a mini promotional flyer, to be honest. Right. So, like, if you are an artist, I would have, mm-hmm. like, one side of it be your artwork. Art, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Photography, let it be a picture. Yeah. I think ours describes the show in summary and tells you where you can listen and then mm-hmm. has, like, our social handles, both yeah. of our names and, like, contact info. So I think that's one, figuring out where you have use for it, whether it's... And then the other thing that I realized, too, is, like, I always hand them out as after I've had a conversation with someone and mm. told them verbally, it's the leave behind yes. because you're not going to remember how to spell job logs yeah. or anything. Um, with my work business cards, it's also an interesting dynamic because on the work side, I've printed them so many times and don't use them because I, I work I at a company and so a brand that everyone recognizes. I found the power dynamic is different. So if I'm in a space when I'm networking, you're likely pitching me, mm-hmm. so I don't need to have the business card because mm-hmm. you'll look me up on LinkedIn or something, or I can just give you my email address and yeah. you will follow up and send the email. Whereas with job blogs, we're usually pitching other people or trying That's to true. form partnerships. And so, you know, I'm kind of the one like we're the ones pursuing that yeah. relationship. And so I find that the need is kind of necessitated by like yeah. a bit of the power That's dynamic as well. Um and then what was my other point going to be about business cards? Oh, <laughs> this one's big. So, you know, I don't don't have a, a clear yes or no on whether or not they're useful. What I will say is that we have them. And it's always so comical to me when you're in a little networking circle at a function and people ask for business cards. I love being able to pull them out and have one. Yeah. And it's the weirdest thing when people next to you are like, oh, like, oh, I should print them or I did print them or yeah, I forgot I to print. Like, yeah. that's weird. Yeah. So my my perspective is it depends. I think business cards separate hobbyists from people who are really serious about their hustle. I think it's one way to do that, right? Yeah. Like your website's another you know, whatever else you have is another. So I, I think it's up to you to decide. You can get them done for as little as $25 yeah. on overnightprints.com, Vistaprint, whatever. Yeah. I mean, and I've noticed a lot of people now will, like, get me on the social, like, mm. as I'm talking to you. So, like, if you're a right, Twitter person, right. like, what's your handle? And they'll, right. like, add me, like, in front of my face. Right. So I know that this notification is them. So that's another way to do it. Yeah. I mean... That's cool, but also if you, like, want the email address to really slide through the DMs with an opportunity, I think, yeah. you know. I just think it depends. But to me, if it's something new, it can't hurt. Yeah, If I you agree. have, if you can find $25, $30 and you're serious about what you're doing, I don't think it hurts. Sure. Okay, before we go, this week in adulting. Um, just we're going to share some tips on how we're becoming better, fully functioning, responsible, ad- responsible <laughs> adults. Yes. What's the tip? Bedtime. Bedtime. Set a bedtime. Real. Yes. Yes. Real adult moves out here. <laughs> you know, parents are seven, eleven thirty. Because you need you need to regulate your sleep, and I. You know, full disclosure, don't do any of them, <laughs> which is why working, I struggle. Prog- work in progress. That's why I, like, struggle out a bit and, like, run to get ready mm. in 20 minutes in the morning. So definitely setting, putting yourself on a schedule because we're getting older. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't subscribe to that whole team no sleep. Yeah. You team sleep, we gr- what, grind. Grind 24-7 Yes, I hustle. am sleep. <laughs> 
and my brain is, yes, you know, yes, loving off. every minute of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Get your sleep. Set a bedtime. Okay. So that's real. I support that. Mine is, I discovered this because I, I dropped, <laughs> at the improv brunch, I dropped my phone in the toilet. Oh, exciting. Because it was lit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I was without a phone for a day. It was mm. scary at first. Mm. Like, I was telling my roommate, like, I'm nervous leaving this door. Like, I'm Really? Nervous. Why? <laughs> because you just always have it. So I'm yeah. like, girl, how do I know I'm on time? <laughs> like, I don't even know. What is I don't want to watch. What is like, the clock? I don't so, but at the same time, it's kind of liberating. Mm. So I've been flexing my do not disturb feature lately. Mm-hmm. And that's like if I need, if I'm working on something, like I just the act of like texting or doing mm. something else, like it Distress, takes your brain yeah. away from it. It lacks yeah, focus. So I think like don't be so afraid to be off the grid and like mm-hmm. disconnect for a little bit. Mm. Flip side of that. <laughs> Respecting like you don't need access to people all the time. Mm. I have a friend who shall go unnamed. Me. No. <laughs> so, no. Oh. oh, really? I have a friend. I'm not even going to put him up. Okay. There. okay <laughs> but okay. he texts me, and then if I don't respond, will send me ellipses. We'll oh, go yes, to the dot, yes. dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> Sir. Yes. <laughs> Like you respond. Wait, I might have to start that. That's excellent. No, that that is so extra. Do not do that. If it's an emergency, call and say it's an emergency. But don't expect people to just (laughs) give folks space for Mm. adulting boundaries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Job Logs. Yes, full house today. Yes, many thanks to Amber, Isaiah, Michael for stopping by and joining us. And, you know, in the spirit of celebrating relationships that make it happen, thanks to Marnie Smith for connecting all of us. Marnie knows everybody. She sure does. (laughs) Catch us around the web, per usual, at joblogs.com or at joblogs on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Yeah. And don't forget to tweet us. We want to hear about when you get a new job, a promotion, you know, big or small professional milestones. We want to celebrate you. Yes. Share yes. the love. Shouts to y'all. Oh, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That's what really helps us grow. Yes. And kind of show that we're having an impact. Yeah. And also, it's like, you know, a preview to everyone else who hasn't tuned in yet. Yeah. I don't and know. That's a nice picker up around my week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Courtney, what are you around the web? I'm at Cleave Out Loud on Instagram, Twitter, and sometimes a snap. Mm-hmm. And I am Hamus Parker, H E Y M I S S P A R K E R R. Thanks, y'all. See you next week. I don't know what should I, what, what should I sing. <laughs> I don't do. I don't know jingles off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> Any requests? You want to, uh, here comes the sun by the Beatles. Right. Here comes the sun. Doo, 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 doo. Here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. So you're the guy at karaoke that's just like blowing everyone out of the water. You're that one person. I've done that before. Um, that's awesome. How has that experience, like, how's that extracurricular, just sort of fun thing at work connected um, you with people? It's great because it's it's totally unrelated to my job. 
you know, a thing in my life and singing is just, you know, a really good stress reliever and just sort of a totally different outlet for creativity yeah. and energy that is nothing to do with what I do on a day-to-day basis. So it's just great. And, you know, I can be a diva and kind of <laughs> <laughs> let that side of me out, hopefully, and then uh, not subject my coworkers to it too much. Love it. <laughs> my business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.